today we want to thank you again for rescuing our soul. Lord, we thank you that truly there is fullness of joy in your presence and at your right hand. There are treasures forevermore. The treasure of peace unending. The treasure of forgiveness. The treasure of fellowship and intimacy and acceptance through the blood of Christ Jesus. The access that we get into your throne room. We thank you for it. That our voice, church, your voice is heard at the highest level. That is why the prayers that we pray can split seas. That is why the prayers that we pray can bring healing to bodies, soundness to mind. Because Lord, our prayers are heard at the highest level in your presence. There is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is answer. There is freedom. And we thank you as we come before the throne of grace. Lord, we are accepted, but not only are we accepted, we have the answer that we need in you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give Jesus another shout in this place. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Let's show our appreciation for the musicians this morning. What a blessing they are to us. Well, the weather is warm outside. I don't know if you've got your swimming costume packed, but maybe right after this service, it could be a trip to Barry Beach. Oh, who knows? Porth Call on the fair. You never know. I'll keep the sermon short this morning so we can get out the door. I'm down to Barry. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue this morning in uh, Psalm 86. I've been looking at that over the last few weeks. And over the months, really, we've been developing this thought that God has a blueprint for our lives. God has a blueprint. Much like we would build a home, build a house from a blueprint, you need a plan, you need an architect to design your home, and then the builder would have to take that architectural drawing and work accordingly to it. If the house is going to go up, if the house is going to stay up, the architect and their calculations would have to be obeyed and understood by the builder if the house is to have any future. Much like that, God has a blueprint, a design for our lives. It's His Word. It's His promises. These are the instructions that He's given us. Why? Because God wants you, your life to flourish. God wants your life to be blessed in all areas. God wants your life to resemble His life, which is glorious, which is brilliant, which is beautiful. In fact, the writers of the New Testament put it like this, that we are partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of God's nature. And when God's nature and God's character starts to get 
unpacked in your life and in my life. Oh, the picture is glorious. The picture is not a picture of deterioration and destruction. The picture is a glorious picture. It's like an unfurling picture that just keeps going and increasing in its blessing and in its wonder. We are partakers of the divine nature. Paul put it like this. He said, be imitators of God. Copy God. If you want a great life, go ahead and copy God. Use God as your blueprint. If you're going to build a great life, if you're going to thrive in this world, we've got a limited time. Why waste it with a bad attitude? Why, why waste it with dead end, with dead end our habits? Why not get free of all that stuff? Why not let Jesus break and smash the chains that want to bring us down and just let God be the blueprint? blueprint let God be the picture get his nature be a partaker of it and imitate him my God you know when people see us imitating God and not some kind of wacky crazy God that's ang angry and insensitive but the true living God of the Bible when we become imitators of God your life is going to become highly attractive. Let me warn you now, your home is never going to be empty. Your doors are always going to be going to be open. People are going to be pulling on your coattails saying, where did you get this life? Where did you get this, this peace of mind? How is it that everything that you do, everything that you touch is successful and blessed? You can turn around and you can say, well, it's really simple. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I'm an imitator of God. All of the promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. It's about time we start pulling them down. It's about time we start wearing them. It's about time we start saying, do you know what? That's not just going to lay, lay on my Bible on paper, on rice paper. That's actually going to become the trait of my life the sign, the picture, the advert of my life. Do you know what? God loves to land in all of his fullness on your life. He really does. Oh my God, he loves it. He wants you to thrive. Don't ever think, well, you know what? This is just me. This is, this is the way I am. This is the way I turned out. I can't alter it now. I'm in my 40s. I'm 47 and look at me. <laughs> don't all comment at once I know I've got a very wide center part in my daughter said to me do you know what my daughter said to me is absolutely wonderful I love it what comes out of their little hearts she said to me now you know she's been with us for six years so she's had to look at this wonderful picture for the last six years tone right she's had to look at this and she she looked at me the other day and she said daddy are you wearing a wig? <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Daddy, are you wearing... I mean, what a brilliant way to think. And do you know what I said? Yes, I am, darling. Do you want daddy to pull it off? And do you know what? I said, I said and, and her mind started to tick. 
because they trust you, don't they? They believe you. They do. They believe you. She said, go on, Daddy, take your wig off. I said, okay, darling, here goes. And I said, wouldn't it be wonderful? I said, if Daddy pulled his wig off and there was a lovely, lovely golden mane flowing down his back like, like, his, like, a, like, like Faye. Oh, I'd love to have hair like that. It'd be fun. I reckon I'd look awesome with it. I'd be able to go to the hairdressers. Faye cut my hair yesterday. That's a, one of the favorite times of the month when she cuts my hair. And there's only about, you know, there's only a little spoonful that comes off. <laughs> Serious, little spoonful comes off. It's a little collection of hair, gray in there as well. And she cut it and she shaves it and she pretends that she's in the, in the hairdressers. And we go through the whole rigmarole of that. Oh, if I, if I only had hair, I'd be able to go to the hairdressers. But I haven't got any. No. So where was I? Right? Where was I? After all those funny stories. I haven't got a wig on, by the way. I wish I had, you know. But this is what I have in life. But you know what? I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Even looking like this. I mean, cheer up. You could look like this. Cheer up. Do you know what? I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I'm an imitator. Or, or I'm invited through the Bible to be an imitator of God. Dave, you can be an imitator of God. You don't have to just live with life and land on this earth and have a, have a bumpy start and, and go down a rocky road and just work it on out for the rest of the, the time that you're here. Dave, come on. Come on, Dave. You're a partaker of the divine nature. Come on, Dave. You can be an imitator of God. And suddenly, when we start to slowly get a hold of that, things start to change. They really do. Maybe not all at once. This is a lifelong journey. It's going to take some time, but we're going to get there. And people are going to be attracted to you. They're going to be drawn to you, not to your amazing looks and your appearance and even your new trainers. They're not going to be attracted to that. They're going to be attracted to something that's internal, to something that they see beyond the weaknesses and, and the frailties of our flesh. They're going to see something within you, and it's going to be wonderful. And this life that's going to come out of you, it's going to bless people and heal people. And the words that you speak are going to be different from all of the other voices that they hear, and they're going to, they're going to grab hold of you and they're going to they, they're going to they're going to ask you to show them Jesus and you're going to pray with them I'm telling you now I'm telling you now and your heart is going to break when you see people but in 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 your heart breaking you're going to see the immediate power of God coming into situations that you never thought he could come into because God is wonderful there's a there's 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 a blueprint for life. There's a design from the designer. There's instructions for us. We're not just landed down here and just left to find our way through this jungle. No, no. We have a design. 
take hold of it. Let's not just be hearers of the word only like James says, but be doers. Be doers. When you begin to do the word, that it's, that it's then that the power of God's word starts to kick into your life. And you don't have to make this big, amazing statement to the world. I've turned over a new leaf. My God, don't do that. Whatever you do, you'll fall flat on your face. Quietly, quietly take hold of the scripture, of God's word. Quietly listen, listen to the still small voice that is, not will, that is speaking to you. He is speaking to you. There's an anointing within you. I say it all the time. Whereby you have no need that any man teach you concerning anything. For the anointing that is within you will teach you concerning all things. All things. He'll do it. He'll speak to you. Listen to that voice and say, Lord, I want that in my life. Do you know what? You'll have it. You'll have it. You'll, you're a partaker of the divine nature. God is your example to follow. Your life is a wonderful picture. You say, but Dave, it's not. It's not. Please don't just pump us up with this Walt Disney stuff. No, this isn't Walt Disney stuff. And this isn't a pump up to motivate you. Listen, we've all got to trudge through life. But I'm telling you, the word of God is true. The word of God is true. We have to take hold of it and believe it and say, Lord, yes, my life has been hard. This week's been difficult. But Lord, I want to be a partaker of the divine nature. I want to see the power of the Holy Spirit help me and counsel me and lead me and guide me and comfort me and, and bring me into all truth and tell me of things to come. Please, Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, he will do it. He will do it. He really will. But it's a journey, and we have to be patient on that journey. We've been looking at Psalm 86, and we've said that David in this psalm was looking for the design for life. He was looking for the blueprint. He was looking for the instructions. This was a crisis point for David. It's a difficult time. Psalm 86, I love the Bible. I love this psalm because it's so honest, man so transparent. Don't you just hate it when people just turn up and they've got this perfect life and they never let you in to any kind of crack or any kind of weakness or any kind of flaw? David's not like that. He's the king of Israel. He's, he's vanquished kingdoms. He's, he's extended the borders of Israel like no other king. I mean, this guy is at the top of his game at, at every level, yet in this psalm and in many other psalms, he's completely transparent, completely honest, completely open, not only to God, but to everybody around him. Amazing. And he's crying out to God in this period of his life for a blueprint, for a set of instructions. He's crying out to the designer for the design. He wants God to be his picture, his example. Psalm 86 verse 11. He says this, teach me your ways, O Lord. And I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. 
that I might fear your name. Teach me, he says. I've come to the end of myself. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to turn to. I'm in a corner. I've gone to this aid and that aid. I've sought counsel maybe here, human counsel, and it's all fallen short at this crossroads. I'm at a dead-end stage in my life. Teach me. Teach me. In this psalm, David is showing us the condition of his life. It's a poor condition. He opens in verse 1 by just crying out to God. He says, bow down and listen to me. Bow down and hear my prayer. I'm a poor and needy man. This is the king of Israel talking. This is a man with, with wealth and, and acquisition and amassed land and amassed buildings and palaces. This is a man that has so much military might at his disposal. Yet this man before God is saying, I'm poor. I'm needy. I'm at a place in my life where I don't know what to do or where to go or who to turn to. I'm poor and needy. Would you bow down? This man, through this psalm, you can read it when you go home. Psalm 86 is showing us his condition, his condition of life. But I read this and I reread it this week and the Holy Spirit just highlighted this to me which blessed my heart so much. Because you know what? When the Holy Spirit shines light on the Word, it becomes life. Life in your heart. And he said, he whispered to me. He said, Dave. He said, not only is David showing you his condition of life, he's actually revealing the character of God in response to his condition of life. David openly declares where he's at in his condition, but also on the same hand, he reveals God's character. He reveals God's character to us as a result of his condition. Firstly, he says, bow down. Can you see the, and, and understand who he knows God to be? You know, over the years, I've looked and studied various religions, probably like you have. I've looked at various cults and other religions to see what they propose, to see what they promise, to see their road to God. And there are, they claim that there are many roads to God. But you know what? In all of the study that I've done of cults and religion, there is not one cult or one religion that actually pictures God as bowing down. David says, bow down. Listen to me. What religion, what religion in this world pictures a loving God bowing down to hear a man at his crisis point? What religion is there in this world 
that, that, that supports the belief that God would come down and be among us and, and listen to us and heal us and tenderly take us in his arms. I challenge you to study and look into it and you will not find one. You will not find one. Many of them will, will, will demand works, effort, discipline, in order to even try and come and approach God. David hasn't got any of that in this stage of his life. He's in need. He's in a pit. And he says, bow down. Bow down. And you know what? God did bow down. God did bow down. He really did. And he attended to this man's need. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that loves us. Years ago, I read a sermon by a man, a well-respected theologian and writer in the 18th century, a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, a great writer, read a lot of his works, great writer, great understanding of the Bible. But one of the sermons that he preached as a young man became almost like a keynote sermon that set him apart from any other preacher of his time. And the, the title of the sermon that he preached one Sunday morning was titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now it sounds very good. It sounds very religious. It sounds almost as if you could support it by Scripture in the Bible as he did from the Old Testament. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He preached that sermon hard. He preached that sermon with great fervor. And the, the historical account of that meeting is this, that people were actually hanging on to the pews. They thought that their feet were slipping into hell. He preached it so strongly and so firmly and supported it with Old Testament Scripture. However, the Bible does not say that God has angry hands. The Bible doesn't say that God is angry, in fact. It says that God is slow to anger, rich in mercy. It doesn't say that God is rich in anger and slow in mercy. No, the Bible says that God is rich, rich in mercy and slow in anger. You see, sometimes, now that, that Jonathan Edwards, the theologian, shaped the church, shaped the belief and the theology of the American church. And much of the roots from that belief has grown up into the church whereby we think that we are walking under a God that is angry. God's not angry. God's not angry. It doesn't say this in John 3.16, does it? For God was so angry with the world that he sent his son to condemn the world and to tell him off. No, let me read it to you. 
Let me read it to you. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here we go. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, to get angry with the world, to tell the world off, even though the world was full of sin, even though the world was at enmity and enemies of God. God didn't condemn the world. No, but the world through him, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, to get angry with it, but to save it, to save it. God's not angry. God's in love with people that are hell-bent on destroying themselves. He wants to save them just like he did us, friends, just like he did us. Jesus did not die to make good people better. Jesus died to make dead men and women live. That's why he died. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but by grace we have been saved. Every chain broken, set free. David showing his condition. Oh God, God bow down and listen to me please. He's showing us the character of God. He's revealing his understanding of God. His understanding of God was beautiful and wonderful and intimate and close. He did not see God as his judge. He did not see God as a tyrant in the sky. He did not see God as angry and vengeful. He saw God as compassionate, graceful, loving, forgiving. And when you read through this Psalm, Psalm 86, you see him just show the full colors of God's character. He says he's so good. He's abundant in mercy and he's ready to forgive. He's ready to step into the sin. He's ready to rescue. He's ready to save us and lift us up in his arms. He's ready to put us on the right road again. He's ready to enable us to become partakers of his very nature so we don't land in the mess that we've landed in. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's beautiful. You know, the Bible doesn't say that where... Now, now Paul, the apostle, wrote these words. He planted a church in the worst city in Greece, Corinth. And absolutely, you know, you're talking about complete immoral place. And you can go and do a study about what was happening in Corinth in the time where Paul founded a church. I mean, it was madness. It was absolute madness, a moral mess, an absolute moral mess. In fact, the Romans, the Romans used to say if somebody was completely immoral and they felt that 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 person had no hope in life to turn their life around they would actually use Corinth as a byword they would say see that individual over there they've been Corinthianized they've been that's a Corinthianized person now just imagine how immoral the Romans were right they were they were really immoral but even at their level of immorality, if they saw something that was completely beyond repair and completely beyond saving, they would say, See, look at that person walking down the street. They, they are Corinthianized. Paul walks into Corinth as an apostle of Jesus Christ, full of the love of God, not angry with sin, 
not angry with, with the wickedness and the corruption that was going on in that city. He walks in and he thinks, my God, this is a place to set a church up. This is a place for the grace of God to land. This is a place for the life of Christ to really flourish, for, for the light of the gospel to, to really shine. And he sets a church up, and the church, obviously, because, I mean, you know, he's in the middle of Corinth, and people are bringing their bad habits into church. There's loads of sin going on. There's loads of stuff, loads of challenging stuff happening in the church, which we won't get into this morning, thank you very much. But you can read the letter when you go home. Loads of stuff happening down there in Corinth. But you know what Paul said? He didn't, he didn't go in there, start screaming at people, my God, you need to get your act together. You need to make some good choices. You need to, to really sort yourself out. Your habits are stinking. Your, your choices are, are debased. What are you doing? You're all Corinthianized, just like the Romans said. No, he didn't do any of that. Do you know what he said? He said, where sin abounds. Grace superabounds. Grace abounds all the more when sin stands up as a competitor to grace, it's gonna lose. It's gonna lose. When sinful habits stand up in our lives and they try to pull us back into old behaviors that no longer belong to us, that have been buried in baptism in Christ's death. I'm telling you now, they can stand up all they want. They can line. They can line up down the street if they want to. When sin stands up in your life as a competitor to God's grace, it's going to lose. No matter how powerful it is, no matter how addictive it is, no matter how debilitating it has been, been in your history, grace superabounds. It means that it, it overcomes it and disarms it and brings it to nothing in your life. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He didn't say, he didn't say where sin is abounding, the anger of God abounds. Just imagine Lamentations chapter 3. Now, the, the, the people had committed a terrible sin. Israel had committed terrible sins. In fact, they were, they were being exiled to Babylon as a result of their behavior, their repeated sinning and turning away from God. And yet the prophet Jeremiah, with tears in his eyes, as the people are leaving with their captors, under Nebuchadnezzar to, to a journey that would take them thousands of miles away from their homeland. As he sees them leaving, Jeremiah says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The man was crying. The man was brokenhearted as he was seeing the people of God taken to a, a promised land. The whole city had been raised and was in flames and was under ruin. The glorious temple was, was pulled over. The treasures were taken out. And yet God's love was still there. God did not say through his prophet, the anger of the Lord never ceases. 
His fury never comes to an end. It's new every morning. And I'll make sure that you get it every single day that you're in Babylon. No, the, the, the heart of the prophet is crying. He's saying, God's love. You're going to a foreign land. But the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Even when you're exiled for 70 long years in Babylon, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Your captors are going to be hard. But later on, even Jeremiah says, on God's behalf, I know the plans I have for you. This is when they were in Babylon. This is when they were being disciplined by God. This was when they were being corrected to go back home. It was a 70-year period, but God hadn't left them. God hadn't let them go to their own devices. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Look at the mess they got themselves in. God's still planning. God's still planning their success. God's still planning a great life for them. I know the plans that I have for you. They're good plans. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But God, we sinned against you. But God, we turned our back on you. But God, we did, we did terrible things. We worshipped idols. We, we, we lifted up stones and, and, and praised them. We even sacrificed our own children. In, in, in your name, we did despicable things. You say you've got plans for us. You say that you've got a great future for us. How can God do that? Because the Bible says that God is love. It does not say that God is anger. It says that God is love. God is love. Oh, I'm telling you now, when you ask Jesus into your life, you're going to get far more than you've ever bargained for, friend. You're going to get far, far more blessing than you ever imagined. You really are. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Start asking big. Start dreaming big because he's going to blow your mind. He's going to do bigger than any request that you can come into his presence with. He's going to, he's going to bring about the dreams that, that, that you have in your head and even more than it. He's a great God. David, Psalm 86, is describing God's character. I'm telling you now, it's like when, you, when the Holy Spirit opens up something to you, it just gushes. I never knew we were going to be on this. I promise you. I'm on my little bike on the way to work the other month, pedaling past Cumbran Stadium. Like this. This is how this sermon came. Oh, pedaling to work. Then all of a sudden, Spirit of God starts to come on me, man, on that bike. And I start to cry my eyes out. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus, so much. Serious. This is how it happens. This is how he speaks. Jesus, I love you. I worship you, Lord. Carl's going past. Ing, 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 ing. I praise you and all. Thank you, Jesus. And then that part of my heart, I hadn't thought about this psalm for years. 
up out of my heart, out of my spirit suddenly comes, teach me your ways, oh God. Teach me your ways that I might walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to fear your name. That's how it came. That's how it came right out of the spirit of God through my spirit. And then he sets you off in a course. Teach me. Teach me your ways. I'm going to ask Wayne to come. Come on, Wayne. Play those keys, mate. We've got to get to Barry Beachman. We've got to get our cozies on, paddling in the sea. Teach me, he says. I love teachers. Do you know why? And you're going to understand this when I say it. Because they're patient. They're patient. The Bible, Jesus actually said, I will send you another teacher. I'll not leave you as orphans. Oh, I'm not an orphan. I'm not an orphan, neither are you. When it comes to your life, Jesus has placed you under the care of a teacher. Under the care of a teacher. Please, not a man or a woman. Yes, we have teachers in the church. Thank God for them. But there is a teacher that will never fail you. Men and women, it doesn't matter who they are or what title you put on their head, they will fail you. And I want to, Faye and I want to be the best pastors we can be in this church. But I'm telling you now, we will fail. We're just flesh and blood. The Bible tells us exactly that flesh and blood is just like grass. It withers. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And that word is taken by the teacher, the Holy Spirit. He'll never fail you. He'll apply it in a way that's gracious, that's patient. Teachers are patient. David understood this. God is so patient. So patient. I love it. He sees where we are. He sees what we've done. He sees where we're in, what we're in. We're all at various places. I may be strong in an area that you're weak in. You're certainly strong in an area that I'm weak in. And that we've, there's many different facets and sides in the church. We're all at different places in our lives. But the teacher is patient. The Holy Spirit is so patient. David said, you see, he's saying, by just using this one word, he's saying so much about God. See that today. Don't just read it, teach me your ways. No, he's actually describing God in his request, in his desire. You see, God is a teacher. The Lord is a teacher. Teach me your way, oh Lord. The teacher is patient. Patient. The Holy Spirit is patient. That means he may say something to you today and you're not going to get it today. It's going to take years. But he's so patient. He's so patient. He's so awesome. He said so many things to me over the years. And then I, I hit a crisis I said, God, help me. This is how it's been so many times. And it will be like this in the future. God, help me. He said, Dave, I told you that last week. You forgot it, didn't you? Yes. Come on then. Let's go again. Let's go again, son. 
let's do this, remember it, but I don't want to do it. It's hard to do it. I think this is the right way. This is my way. No, Dave, that's not the right way. Come on, I'm going to instruct you. And when you get through this, you're going to look back and you're going to see that the teacher is wiser than you. You're going to see that not only are my ways higher than yours, but my thoughts are too. Come on, Dave, I'm going to teach you my ways. The teacher is patient. He doesn't expect you to get it all at once. That's what he wants to tell you. If I, you know, go up to Wayne or James who was playing earlier or Kyle and I say, hey Kyle, mate, I've got a new ambition in life. I want to learn the drums. Teach me, Kyle. But this is the condition. I want to know everything you know in one week. Now Kyle, not only is that disrespecting Kyle, my goodness. He's been to drum college in London. He's been up and down the country in drum clinics. His passion is is doing drums for Jesus and for his church. And not only that, being a teacher. He's got lots of pupils that he teaches. He teaches. But if I said that to him, that would disrespect him. And it would be just completely insane. No, teachers are patient. And we have to understand that with our lives. When we say, teach me your ways, you're going to get infinite patience from God. He's going to teach you to overcome fear, depression, you know, anything that's held you back in your past. It's going to teach you. It's going to teach you. And it's going to be so unusual. It's not going to be like pupil and classroom kind of setting and teacher and classroom kind of setting, it's going to be really unique and unusual. And we'll get that. We'll get to that in the weeks to come. We really will because he's opened this up. This journey where God teaches us is lifelong. Lifelong. A lifelong pursuit after God. And he comes as teacher. Amen. Amen. I'm going to leave it there this morning. God's not angry. God's not angry. Lots of times we can get angry and we can display God as an angry God, but no. God's not who we think he is. He's who he says he is. And who he says he is is not angry. God's in love with this world and he loves it. He really does. We're going we're gonna to pray right now. And today, you know, you may have had a picture that God is angry. I had a picture that God was really angry with me. I lived under that kind of picture and thought for my life. And then one day, probably the greatest day of my life, when A man was speaking just like I'm speaking today. He said, you want to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a wash on the inside. Well, I prayed that prayer. That day I realized God wasn't angry. That he loved me. That he placed his arms around me to save me. Greatest day of my life, 15 years of age. 
what a great day. And maybe that day is, maybe that day is here for you. Maybe today you want to pray that prayer, asking Jesus into your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I would love right now to quietly, in the closing moments of this service, quietly pray that prayer with you. Something's going to happen to your life. Something's going to happen. You're going to pray a simple prayer, and you're going to mean it. You're going to pray it. It's going to be a conversation between you and Jesus. Something is going to happen in this moment. You're going to become a partaker of God's nature. I don't know how it works. You're going to be an imitator of God. Something's going to happen on the inside today of your life. Let's close our eyes. Today, you pray this prayer with me. Repeat it. It's going to be so simple. Just say this. Jesus, today I ask you, forgive me of my sin. I ask you, please come into my heart. Please. I believe you're alive. I believe that you died for me, but then God raised you from the dead. I do believe that. And I ask you today to be my Savior. Amen. Well, eyes are closed right now. If you prayed that prayer, would you quickly slip up your hand? We want to give you a little Bible. That's it, Paul. That's it, mate. Is there anybody else you prayed that prayer today? Don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. If you prayed that prayer today, lift your hand up. We'll see it. We'll give you a little Bible. If you're a little bit nervous to put your hand up, that's fine. Please grab a Bible before you leave the service today. Just grab a little New Testament. We, there's no charge for them. We give them away free. Maybe fill your details in so that we can keep in touch with you. That's in, entirely up to you. It's your choice. We would love to uh, see you again in this church. We'd love to be a part of your life and you be a part of this family. If you prayed that prayer, we really would. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing. Father, we thank you today. I thank you for your people. Thank you for every person here in this place. Lord, you quickened me this morning to talk about being partakers of the divine nature. Lord, I thank you for that reality in each person's life. Partakers of the divine nature. You as our example. We follow after you. I pray that it would be a reality in your people's lives. In Jesus' name.